Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the glorious day, the 24th of February, 2023. Happy Friday to you. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host. I appreciate the use of your ears for an hour-ish. Maybe we'll try and get you started on your way. Go ahead and start drinking now. I mean, screw it. Who are you trying to kid? Anyway, uh, thanks. I've been getting the dates right lately. Thanks to James, Jim. He mailed me a clock with not only the time on it, which is always helpful, but the it's a calendar day clock. And so I'll still screw it up, Jim, I promise you, just because I know you're trying to help and you were being funny, but um, it's just dyslexia and in distractia and kidsia and all those other things that go on in the world that just cause me to screw things up. So it's not like I thought it was 2022. If I thought it was, if I thought I could project myself back a year I would write down lottery numbers for when it came around again, but I don't. I can't. So anyway, appreciate you listening. You can email me, DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. Don't forget the week and effing review at patreon.com slash DerekHunterPodcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. It'll be up at midnight Eastern tonight, so you can uh, curse your way through the weekend or curse your way to bed if that's what if you're on the West Coast and that's what gets your rocks off. It's I don't I don't judge. Live your life. And, uh, yeah, enter the contest while you're there to win an autographed book by either this week it's Brad Thor versus Governor Christy Nome. So, boom, I'm picking up the Christy Nome book on Sunday as Brian Darling is taking me to his uh, country club, fancy guy that he is, and taking me golfing. So he's got uh, two of them. Christy Nome will be around for a little while. Anyway, appreciate you listening. Let's get started. Good Lord, I'm rambling. Let's just get started with the damn show so we can get started with the damn weekend already. We got a lot going on. There's a lot of things to talk about. And you sit there and you go, where do we start with this stupidity? Where do we go? How do we do this? There's a lot around race today. And I get it. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable talking about race. I just don't care. It's, I know what I am. I know who I am. I know what I believe in. I'm not afraid to sit there and go, this is garbage. I'm not going to sit back and go, oh, no, what about, uh, I, I want to be culturally sensitive. I don't want to be culturally sensitive. I want to be honest, all right? Honesty is the most culturally sensitive anybody can be. Be honest with me, because I don't think there's any culture, except for maybe political culture, where blowing smoke up someone's rear end is considered a sign of respect. I think that being honest with people is the uh, best way to show them that you have respect. And also that you won't play these stupid games. These games that leftists play, the divide to conquer. The bifurcation of America has really been to the benefit of the Democratic Party, which is sick to think about it. And it's always been the MO, the motus operandi of the Democratic Party, back to the days when they were the party of segregation. They were the party of slavery. They were the party that invented Jim Crow laws. They were the party of lynching. They were the party. Of, now they claim to be against all these things. They were the party standing in the schoolhouse door. Oh, no, never, never, never. They were the party of segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. They meant it. George Wallace was telling you the Democrats' playbook, their ultimate goal. Their, their, their tactics have changed. 
used to be, uh, we need to separate and segregate because we hate these people. Now it's, we love these people. We need to separate and segregate in the name of celebrating diversity. What? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh, it just does. Went from celebrate diversity, like, hey, yeah, we're all different, and who cares, and we can all get along, and tolerance. Tolerance was to tolerate. Now it's celebrate diversity, all right? Or else. Or else. And oh, by the way, tolerance now means celebrate as well. You have to go to the parade. You have to wear the ribbon. I don't want to wear the ribbon. You must wear the ribbon. Look, I don't wish anybody ill, but I don't want to. You must wear the ribbon. He does not want to wear the ribbon. We're going to steal your armoire. It's insane what they have done. They have treated the left, the progressive left, have treated the English language the way that Harvey Weinstein treated up-and-coming actresses, the way that Jeffrey Epstein treated every 15-year-old girl he could get his hands on. It's disgusting what these people do. Tolerance. I tolerate pretty much anything. You can do whatever the hell you want. I couldn't care less. It's the libertarian in me. Knock yourself out. You want to dress up and do whatever? Go ahead. Couldn't care less. You want to force me to participate in your delusion? I'm out. I'm out. Not interested. Okay? You want to tell me your pronouns? Your third person plural? You're a third. You as an individual are a third person plural. Okay, fine. Whatever. That is, I will respect your pronouns by not talking about you ever again and not talking to you ever again. That's, I will show the deepest form of respect humanly possible. Because the pronouns are not about, oh, you know, when you're talking to me, you're showing just, no, it's not about when you talk to you. How many times do you refer to somebody in the third person or even the second person when you're talking to them? You're talking right to them. It's about controlling what you say and how you talk about them when they're not there. That's it. That's what they're seeking to control. I never said talking to hey, my friend, talking to my friend Bill. Hey, Bill, how's Bill doing today? How is they's uh, day going so far? What is what is them having for lunch? You wouldn't do that. You'd sound like you just survived a motorcycle accident without a helmet. But when you're not around, when they're not around, that's when those things come into play and that is what these leftist weirdos who have been overindulged as children are seeking to do they didn't come up with it on their own they came up with it through the popular culture through the education and through the political class that tells everybody that they're special the only thing special about people is that they're not special the only thing that makes people special is accomplishment do something you've done something nobody else has or very few people have that makes you special or to be the best at something uh, mike trout pretty special when it comes to baseball aaron judge same deal barry bonds well he got some special he was special but he got some special in a bottle but that's beside the point you have to actually do something existing does not make you special not by a long shot. Why? Because everybody exists or has existed. If everybody can do it, it's not special. It's not one of the most overused words or misused words 
in the English language is becoming woman, but that's beside the point. One of the most misused words before the left started taking a, uh, a black sharpie to the dictionary was unique. Everybody feels unique. Oh, you're so unique. Now, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Nobody's unique. There's no configuration of human being that's unique. But for some reason, we've raised a generation of people telling everybody, oh, you're wildly special. Thank God it hasn't taken with everybody. But it doesn't have to take with everybody. Not everybody has to be in on storming the castle. The Bastille was not taken down by 51% of the Parisians. And then that led to, you know, a decade and a half of beheadings. No, it was a very small group of people. The Nazis were not the popular group of people. In the country. They did not win a majority in the elections until they <laughs> controlled the elections. They were a very small group of people. Never underestimate the damage a very committed, very small group of people can do. So while you sit there and you laugh at these people, that Sam Brinton, the non-binary, I love it, I'm non-binary, which means I'm not a man or a woman, but I sure dress like a woman all the time. Like, oh, well, I don't know. It seems like you might be might be a little bit binary. Uh, there's a whole bunch of tweets out there from a woman who's a, I think she's a Nigerian fashion designer, which, you know, I wouldn't probably take the, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't take, I wouldn't read the email and go, you know what, we need to uh, send this person my bank account number because, you know, she might know the Nigerian prince. But she is a Nigerian fashion designer. And she was looking at the news and she noticed something. Sam Brinton, the guy who used to run, used to run Joe Biden's nuclear uh, waste program. Got to make you feel good. Luckily, we don't produce a whole lot of nuclear waste. But uh, he used to run Joe Biden's nuclear waste program because he was a diversity hire. Celebrate diversity or else, right? Get me the most qualified person that checks all these various subcategories of configurations of human being. And actually, the qualifications can be, don't give me the most qualified person. That was a parenthetical, all right? That was just a suggestion. It's for show. Get me a diversity hire. Sam Brinton looks like Miss, Miss Clean. Now he looks like Mr. Clean because he's got the lipstick on and a goatee. Just a wildly unpleasant human being. I don't know. I'm a straight man, but I just look at this and I go, who, who? Where, I, there's somebody for everybody, I guess. Anyway, this woman's name is, and I'm going to butcher it, Aish, <laughs> I should probably just spell it. This is dyslexia at work and passionate indifference. Aishamation, I don't know, A-S-Y-A-K-H-A-M-S-I-N. She's Tanzanian from Tanzania. She's a fashion designer. She's based in Houston, Texas now. In 2018, flying into Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C., she lost her bag. It happens. It happens. That's why you should never check a bag. But then again, I'm, I'm not only a, not a fashion designer, I'm, I'm not involved in fashion. And I, I just went to Florida for a week, and I brought uh, three T-shirts and uh, one pair of pants and two pairs of shorts and, like, socks and underwear but the same of a three, because I could do laundry while I was there. I didn't have to carry a bunch of crap. Plus, I had to carry a bunch of radio equipment to be able to do my job from down there in my computer. So, whatever. 
Anyway, uh, if you have to check a bag, be prepared that it could be lost. Or it could be a progressive Democrat trolling the baggage claim area and just taking it. Because that's what Sam Brinton had done. He did it twice whilst in charge of the United States nuclear waste program. Got fired for it eventually. The first, what's amazing to me about Sam Brinton is he was on video stealing luggage after a flight that he did not check a bag for. And there he is at the baggage claim carousel, taking a bag and leaving, a woman's bag and leaving because he wanted the dresses. You know, shopping is for suckers. When you're, you're paid $150,000 in government money and can easily afford your own clothes, what's the fun in that, right? Every day's like Christmas if you steal a suitcase a day. So he walked off with that and he was suspended from his job pending the investigation and pending the... And then about three weeks later, another video was found of him at another airport stealing a bag. And like, oh, now we've got to uh, let him go. They were forced to let him go. See, the progressive left will do the right thing after every other option has been exercised. But what's amazing to me is it took two. It took two. Well, now we know of another one because this Tanzanian fashion designer is posting a stream of pictures on social media of her wearing her designs and then Sam Brinton wearing the exact same dresses. Not, you know, this is her line from J.C. Penney or anything like that, but the exact same clothes, the things that were in the suitcase that were stolen. Celebrate diversity, right? Am I right? Isn't that? Yeah, no, I'm not going to celebrate diversity. I'll celebrate accomplishment. But you don't have a choice anymore. The left is going to insist. And it's like the old uh, thing from, what was it? Was it, was it the Godfather? You sit down and you, I don't think it was The Godfather. The Godfather was, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. But there was some mob movie where I like, I sat down with him and put the gun on the table and the contract on the table and said, by the end of this conversation, either your signature or your brains are going to be on this contract. That's how the left will tell you to celebrate diversity. Not going to do it. Refuse to do it. So today we're going to delve into that. Got a lot of audio to illustrate that point. Got a lot of anecdotes to illustrate that point. And most importantly, have reality on our side. <laughs> we have reality on our side. The big story, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Twitter this morning, putting the show prep together. And sometimes it's, you know, a mishmash. It's 50 different topics. Some days it's there's one overriding topic. And there's a through line, not to everything that I have on the show today, but to a lot of it. And I'm looking, there's the Daily Mail online. Transgender actor Elliot Page. Now, you got to ask these leftists this thing because they don't have a set of rules yet. And the reason they don't have a set of rules yet is they don't want to have a set of rules. They want to have a malleable set of guidelines that they can change at a moment's notice. Like, oh, it's Andrew Carnegie. No, now it's Carnegie. It's the Carnegie. Well, what is it? We're just trying. I just love to correct you. I just love to tell you you're wrong. I love to watch you jump through the hoop. It's Carnegie, Carnegie, Carnegie. Now it's Carnegie. And you go, well, Carnegie. And they say, no, it's Carnegie, Carnegie. 
Oh, okay, sorry. Use my proper pronouns. I've changed my pronouns. I'm gender fluid, so today I'm this, tomorrow I'm that. This At lunchtime, I'm going to be something else. Be on your toes. Obey. They want you to be afraid to say anything. Question. That's when you should question the hardest. Whatever anybody doesn't want you to talk about, whatever anybody doesn't want you to question, is when you really need to question everything that comes out of them, but especially what they don't want you to question. So the Daily Mail headline, transgender actor Elliot Page stars in Gucci fragrance campaign. Well, transgender actor Elliot Page puts on a very dapper display as the new face of Gucci. Fragrance can Now, I don't wear fragrances. I wear deodorant and antiperspirant. So whatever my uh, degree smells like, whichever one I happen to grab is my fragrance for as long as that stick lasts. But um, if Elliot Page, instead of Ellen Page, if Elliot Page is, in fact, a man, then why does he need the prefix transgender actor Elliot Page? Wouldn't it just be Elliot Page? If you did, in fact, simply accept a woman going, I'm now a man, you wouldn't need the prefix trans or transgender. You just wouldn't. Okay, well, then Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. Implicit with that is and understood is that Elliot Page is a man. And with that acceptance, if it were accepted, would come nothing else whatsoever of praise, of celebration, if you will, nothing. It would be just gone. In which case, in a world where Ellen Page were truly Elliot Page, where a a woman became a man, a biological woman became a man, in that world, Elliot Page is not the new face of Gucci because there would be nothing worthy of celebration. In fact, Elliot Page would fade into obscurity because what the hell is Elliot Page doing? these days and i think he might she, might she played roles as women throughout her whole career most of her career why was she culturally appropriating that why is that okay and now she gets to play men okay fine i don't i don't know i think it's part of some streaming service show i don't pay attention to people's imdb pages that closely but in a world where a man truly is a man and a woman truly is a man and anybody can actually be a man. There would be nothing to celebrate about Elliot Page. Therefore, Elliot Page would not be the new face of Gucci. It's a marketing ploy on top of everything else as a control mechanism. That's how this works. It's about controlling you and what you say publicly making you afraid that you might say something wrong that would get you in trouble, which will then prevent you from saying anything. So we've got uh, some audio here. Where to start with this stuff here? Just to show the uh, division and the mentality of the progressive left. Joy Reid. Joy Ann Reid, that's her uh, Twitter handle. She's at Joy Ann Reid. She is wildly... uh, Ironically named. She is the lowest rated primetime show on MSNBC uh, by a lot. 
Because even her audience, even the, the audience of MSNBC looks at this stuff and goes, yeah, enough already, give it a rest. But she can't give it a rest. She won't give it a rest. She's got her shtick. And at a certain point, you think, well, this shtick is what they're doing. This is their shtick. You have to come to the realization that it's not shtick. Some people, this is who they are. It's much easier to go with stupid than to go with critical thinking. It really honestly is. And apparently and sadly, actually given the media landscape these days, both print, or not both, print, television, radio, going stupid is really easy to do and it's lucrative. It's just garbage. I, I just, it really is just garbage. Uh, but on TV, there's so much competition for stupid that um, Joy is a bit of a bottom feeder. Now, she's not about to change. That's what's amazing about it. It's really, well, this is working here, so it must work everywhere. That's how you end up with two asteroid movies, the Deep Impact and Armageddon at the same time. Why? Because somebody had an idea, and everybody goes, hey, man, we got to get into this thing. got to get a piece of that asteroid movie action. They're making an asteroid movie. We should make an asteroid movie. With the White House down and uh, Olympus has fallen. Those movies were out 20 minutes of each other again. Hey, how about uh, one where somebody takes over the White House? Yeah, all right, let's do that. Well, they're doing one that somebody takes over the White House. Let's do that. It's that groupthink mentality. You don't want to be first. You don't want to be last. Sadly, what's wrong with the conservative movement is they definitely don't want to be first. And they're okay with being last. They'll get there eventually. Because, well, nobody's ever done this before. It's too scary. Well, that's innovation. Anyway, that's a story for another time. Back to Joy Reid. This is her description of Ron DeSantis and Republicans in general. She always makes it bigger about that because she can't make a coherent case. If you make a case about an individual's actions, you have to be very specific, right? But if you broaden it out to be about everybody, all white people, then you can get broad in general. You start off talking about the one person in particular, and then you spread it out to this, this, that, and the other thing. White people be like kind of comedy. It's, I don't know, it's worn, it's, it's worn out, it's old. But it is a shtick. And Joy Reid has... It'd be an awful lot like work to do anything other than just be a uh, stereotype regurgitator and a lie factory for uh, Joy Reid, and she's not about to do that. So she says that the Republican Party doesn't want, starting again with DeSantis, this uh, AP African-American Studies class, which is different from African-American history, which is being taught. AP African-American history is taught in Florida schools. Governor has not said anything critical about that. But uh, the studies part, which teaches critical race theory, it's what uh, black queer theory is. What is black queer theory? Are there black people who are gay? Is it a, are they a theory or are they they're real, right? They're not a theory. What do you need the theory about? Well, you need the theory because you want to be able to preach in the victimhood. There's no real knowledge-based value to studying this garbage. But there is political mileage to be made out of it, and that's what it's all about. Anyway, 
So Joy Reid takes it from Ron DeSantis to hates black people to all Republicans hate black people to all Republicans hate the 20th century, which is funny because in the 20th century, uh, largely due to Ronald Reagan, we defeated communism. I mean, not completely. It came back. It, it's like uh, if you ever saw Star Trek First Contact, the next generation movie with the Borg. They destroy the Borg ship at the beginning of the movie. Like, ooh, there you go. Or no, I guess you could do uh, a different, it's during the next generation, whatever. They destroy the ship, but the Borg made it on board. Yeah, it was First Contact. The Borg made it on board. There was a power surge. They transferred a bunch of Borg over to the ship. That's what communism, we defeated Soviet communism. But they simultaneously infested academia in this country. And then it metastasized from there to infest a whole group of baby boomers who then went and ran into politics and took over the Democratic Party. You know, it's metastasized from there. We beat it where it was, but simultaneously while beating it, they were infesting the Democratic Party and taking it over. We don't hate the 20th century because of it. We defeated that evil once. We can defeat it again. But uh, to hear Joy tell it, we hate the 20th century. Republicans really hate the 20th century. From setting back the clock on women's reproductive rights to trying to ban the mere act of learning about black history and the civil rights movement, to their zeal for banning books about anything related to the advancements of the last century. Books by black authors and gay authors and any book questioning their rose-colored view of America's distant past. In fact, it is quite clear why they don't want you to read a book. Because if you did, you'd know how the future they want is a return to the frequently very unpleasant history that they don't want you to learn. Oh, evil Republicans don't want you to read a book. So wait a second, are you saying, Joy, that Republicans are in charge of the education systems in Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, Los Angeles, New York, where, like Baltimore, 23 schools, not one single kid can is proficient in math, not one. In English, it's not much better. So, yeah, Republicans don't care. You, you want to read a book, read a book. It's Democrats who are making sure that kids can't read books. Does that make any sense? Now, it does if you know the history. When Democrats were dominant in the South and slavery reigned, they made it illegal to teach slaves how to read. Now they've just made it policy to not teach black kids how to read. See the difference? They've changed their tactic. Maybe that's a little bit harsh, but it's not, really. If they're going to sit there and accuse everybody who doesn't exactly fall in lockstep line with them of being some sort of monster who wants to bring back slavery. Joe Biden said that, uh, a week ago that uh, there are still people who want to commit lynchings in this country. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? If they're going to play that kind of game, then we've got to point out this reality. The pathway to freedom is education. The pathway to prosperity is education. There is one political party who has been responsible for the education system in largely minority areas, and it is not Republicans.
It is not. Here in Maryland, Democrats have complete control. They can throw everything they want at education in Baltimore, and they do. Everything they want is money. That's it. It's just money. It's not accountability. It's not money with strings to it. It's not money with, okay, but we need to see certain results. It's just money. When you have the occasional Republican governor in this state, like we did with Larry Hogan for eight years, he'd complain, he'd play lip service to, boy, howdy, the education system sucks and we need some accountability. And the Democrats would go, that's, that's nice, fat man. Now shut up and just cut the check. And he eventually just shut up and cut the check. Legalize gambling. Okay, fine. The money will go to education. Okay, fine. How about we also make sure that the money is, that the education system is accountable? Shut up. Don't worry about that. Don't, no accountability whatsoever. Don't you know how much these people give to our political party and contributions? So Joy Reid wants to talk about the ability to read. How about you get mad at the people who are failing at giving the kids the ability to read, teaching the kids, since that's their, not only their job, it's their job title. It's so much their job, it's their job title. But no, it's the GOP who hates history. It is the GOP trying to roll back the clock. I'd point out that the Democrats, the clock never changed. There's no need to roll back the clock for Democrats. They're still standing in the schoolhouse door, no longer saying you can't come in here, black person, because I don't like you. I hate you based on your skin color. They're now saying you can't come in here, black person, because we have a separate school for you so that you can have a safe space, so that you can feel fine. That you, I swear in my lifetime, back in the 80s, in the 90s, this stuff was almost dead. This garbage was almost dead. People were people. People were treated as individuals. Nobody gave a damn. It was moving towards a colorblind society. And that is not what Democrats... How do you monetize that? How do you raise money off of that? What do you do? Where does it come from? Where do you, how do you scare people into voting for you without the ability to, you know, to separate out and tell people they should be afraid. How do you do that? You'd have to actually speak to them as individuals and talk to them honestly about policy. You'd have to talk to them directly and frankly about what you want to do and how it will matter in their lives. And if it fails, you have to take accountability for that. Instead, they're like, hell no, I don't want to do that. Growing up in Detroit... Detroit is a pit. Detroit is a disaster. Detroit hasn't had a Republican mayor since, I don't know, the earth cooled since a long time. How do you blame what went on in Detroit? How do you blame what's going on in Baltimore on Republicans? You can't. So you have to come up with the idea, some way to scare the hell out of people. What is this, some way to scare the hell out of people? You have to convince them that, sure, it's not, it's not great. It's not great now. But it's because of the system. We're fighting the system. Never mind that they designed the system. But that's And have been control of the system forever. And they could scrap the, quote, system if it were so awful and replace it with a system that isn't so awful if they, in fact, really cared about this and or the system, quote, unquote, were responsible for anything. They could do all of these things. They don't do it. But they sit there and they tell people, it's bad. We're working. We're fighting hard to make it better. 
But I promise you, if you voted for the other people, it would be worse. We will keep the worse at bay. We will keep the worse at bay. And you, some people just go, okay. It's generational. How many people do you think with the Catholics, speaking as a Catholic, the Catholic, I didn't see this. But I'm told that, I mean, obviously I wasn't alive during the Kennedy administration, but I was told that during the Kennedy administration, they had uh, Catholics across the country put up a, a nice framed photo of JFK, in, usually in their kitchens. I don't know why, but they put up a kitchen uh, photo of JFK. And for years, and apparently to this day, if you were alive, if you were one of those people, there are a lot of people, you sit there, well, life has moved on. Some people still live in the same houses they were living in in 1962. They're elderly, and they still have the picture of JFK up there. I imagine behind it, the wallpaper is perfectly clean, and 50-some-odd, 60-some-odd years of uh, dust around it. Imagine when you take that picture down, you go, holy cow. But uh, it's still up there. It's a muscle reflex, and I bet you a lot of their children vote for Democrats because they, they're JFK Catholic Democrats, or they're a union household. I grew up in a union household, but thankfully my dad was never a doctrinaire, yay, union, yes kind of guy, whatever the union tells him to do. He questioned things. It's where I get it from. But there are union households. We grew up in a union household. Democrats are for unions. Democrats aren't for the little guy. Democrats are for union bosses. Democrats are for forced unionization. I don't care what you think of unions. You want to join a union, knock yourself out. But you shouldn't be able to force other people to join a union. The prospect of voluntary rather than mandatory membership scares the absolute hell out of unions. Why? Because they recognize that people don't want to join. Voluntary would not be their friend. Some people would, but a lot of people wouldn't. So they had to force people to do it, not because they well, they wouldn't be able to effectively represent their membership. No, it's about dues. And it's about the political power and influence that comes along with those dues. That's why they still, even in states where they are, forced unionization is fine, but you can't use their dues for politics. They can opt out of the political part of their dues. They oppose that. They hate that. Because that's the only reason these unions still exist. Back in the teens and 20s, unionization was absolutely a good thing. But they never adapted. They never changed. They never grew. If you go to a union rally today, as I did in college, you would think if you close your eyes, you go, is it 1920? Is Harry Bennett coming out with baseball bats outside the Ford plant to, and a bunch of goons to fight everybody picketing out there? You could, you could think that just hearing these union guys talk at these rallies, at these events. The Democratic Party has changed their tactics, not their objectives, not their methods, nothing. Joy Reid is sitting there blatantly lying to people for millions of dollars a year, talking about how horrible Republicans are, how horrible this country is is how awful how this how that how the other thing it's very lucrative our own governor westmore here in maryland and people across the country charity work getting rich helping quote-unquote helping the poor 
How do you get rich helping the poor? If you're really truly helping the poor, how did Westmore become a millionaire while, quote unquote, helping the poor through a nonprofit where the vast majority of his nonprofit expenditures were his salary? How does that work? All the while, while he's running, while he's he's going to govern this way too, for governor of Maryland. Oh, corporate greed, Republican greed, corporate greed. You got pretty rich helping the poor. I don't know. The millions of dollars that you paid yourself probably could have bought a couple of sandwiches, I would think, Wes. It's the hypocrisy of the left and the monetization of victimhood. It's gross. It's damaging. It's destructive. It's progressive. It's how these people work. The Clinton Foundation. Do you really think the Clintons cared so desperately about charities, or do you think that they saw a massive money laundering operation that would pay for every one of their meals and all of their trips? That's how you end up with a bad rating from charity navigators when you spend more money on salaries and travel than you do on the stated goal of your so-called charity. The rest of the world was in on it. The donations dried up after Hillary lost. The Clintons had nothing left to sell. Saudi Arabia, which gave $10 million for mosquito netting in sub-Saharan Africa, which could have easily spent $10 million and just sent mosquito nets down there, decided to launder it through the Clinton Foundation, and they stopped giving. The Bo Biden Foundation now is seeing its donations triple since Joe Biden became president. It's weird how that works, isn't it? They'll give based on the prospect of somebody maybe be stepping back into the political field or the knowledge that they will in the case of Hillary Clinton. But once they're in there, the money really flows in. It'll pay for Biden's expenses a lot. He won't even have to dip into the tens of millions he got from other means. You just have to talk five minutes about the charity and you go, oh, all right, this lunch is paid for. This trip is paid for. But once Biden is out of office, he'll have nothing left to sell. And I promise you, mark my words right now. The donations to the Bo Biden Foundation will dry up when Joe Biden leaves office, either in 2024 or 2028 or whenever in between. I promise you. It's how it works. So moving on from Joy Ann Reed to CNN and doctors. I didn't realize that I was a victim. Like I said, I've... I've only had one white doctor in my, my life that I can remember. Most of the clinics that I've gone to when sick, even now that I have health insurance, when I take the kids, when the kids have been sick, I take them to the clinic. Not a white doctor. I didn't realize that I was participating in the oppression of my children. Of course, that's not what the left cares about. It's weird, you know. <clears throat> When the left talks about things like this, and we'll just use this example, there is no concern for the white people who go to see a black doctor. There's no concern for white people who my doctor is, I, I don't know. I don't know what he is. I don't care what he is. I assume from the name and the accent, he's Indian. He's a nice guy. He's a good doctor. That's all I care about. And he's in network. So I guess I care about that too. But the rest of it is like, who cares? I don't sit there and go, well, what, uh, what, how did you grow up? Not only because the left will disaggregate you not only by your skin color, but if you grew, what if you, I grew up poorish. I grew up in the lower middle class. What if I'm sitting there going, hey, uh, 
What was your situation? You grew up upper middle class. You grew up wealthy. Your parents were doctors. I can't relate to you. There's no way you could do that. It'd be stupid, right? It would be stupid. It'd be just as stupid as me going, well, let me see your forearm. Let me compare it to my forearm. I don't know. Uh, you seem like more than two shades different than me in one way or the other in any direction. You're too white. What are you, Scandinavian? I can't, can't relate to you. It's wildly stupid, but somehow it's acceptable. And also you won't hear concern from the left about, say, Asian people. Nah, Asian people, meh. They don't care. It's weird how they don't care. There's a lot of Asian people in the medical profession. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't care. All I care about is that people are going into the medical profession who are qualified. Actually, I don't care whoever goes into the medical. You can go to medical school all you want. I don't want them to lower the barrier of entry for medical school. And I sure as hell don't want them to lower the standard for exit from medical school, from graduation from medical school. I don't want anybody messing with those two things. So you get people in who want to come in, regardless of what flavor of human being they are, and then you get people out who are good enough to graduate it. No social promotion. Can you imagine a world where there's social promotion in medical school? Or where there is a lower... Look... I know, fire, you catch hell for this sort of stuff. But again, the truth, there used to be the truth shall set you free. Now the truth will get you canceled. But sometimes the truth just has to be told anyway. When the leftists started looking at the configuration of fire departments across the country, what did they say? We need more women in the fire departments. We need more women in the military. We need female Navy SEALs. The academies, and I remember, I think it was, I don't remember exactly, but it was a, the first female cadet to go into the Navy SEAL program, I think it was, or something elite, whatever it was, Rangers. And oh boy, how did she was admitted. And there was all this fanfare. Jeez, she's the best, and this is great progress, and you've come a long way, baby. And then less than a week into the actual training, she dropped out. It was too physically grueling for her. That didn't get nearly the coverage that the, hey, look, we got a woman in here, and it's great. Yay, yay, yay. Well, they're lowering the standards actively. You need more female firefighters. Why? To celebrate diversity. Okay. All right. Well, firefighter training requires the ability to throw a 200-pound burlap sack over your shoulder and carry it down three flights of stairs. Why would training do that? Because at a certain point, in fighting fires, you're likely to come across somebody who's 200 or more pounds who is unconscious up one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe more flights of stairs. Three is a good benchmark because houses sometimes just have an upstairs and you got to go and get them out there. But wouldn't you rather be able to, wouldn't you rather your firefighter be able to carry you down 10 flights of stairs, even though they only need one, than one flight of stairs when they need 10? That's why you have these standards. For years, men were rejected from potential careers in firefighting because they couldn't meet these standards. And then women came in and said, well, that's too much. Well, let's, let's make it 100 pounds. Let's make it one flight of stairs. Let's say instead of having to do it inside of 30 seconds because, you know, every second counts in a fire, 
we'll give you a five-minute grace period to figure that out. Well, do you think that the fire ripping a building apart goes, oh, wait a second, there's a woman. Slow down. Stop consuming every combustible thing in this room just for a second. Give her a breath. Let her get, come on, cheer her. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do Or do you think it doesn't give a damn and it just does what it does? Yeah, that's the real answer. You lower the standards and you end up with problems. Then you end up with separate standards. You know, oh, men have to do it this way, but women can do it this way. It's okay. Or you end up lowering the standards and getting men who aren't qualified for the job too. Either way, the people who suffer are the public. The people who have the issues are the public. And the people who are high-fiving each other about, look at our new diversity numbers, those are the Democrats. Probably wealthy Democrats who live and work in places where they've installed sprinkler systems, right? <laughs> They don't really need the stinking fire department. It's all you little people down there. So CNN had a discussion about the race of doctors. If you've ever, look, I had to take the girls to, uh, still paying off, the three emergency room visits we had to make when they had COVID, when their temperatures were spiking 103.6 and uh, Bailey was crying in pain and et cetera, et cetera. I took him to the emergency room three times. It was a total of 1600 bucks, I think. So I'm still paying that off. Um, I didn't say, do you, you have, you have white doctors, right? Or you have white female doctors, right? I just wanted him in with the doctor. I didn't care. I wanted somebody there to help First of all, tell me it was going to be okay. Make it okay. Whatever it was. They did. Credit to them. I, don't, I think one of them was white and two of them weren't, if I remember correctly. But they don't, I don't remember. And I might not be remembering correctly. It's northern Michigan. It is kind of largely white. So it doesn't really, but it doesn't really matter. I didn't say, no, 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 you out. You out. I want somebody who looks like my kids. Well, CNN's discussion seems to believe and if you think that this is the world if this is the world you want to live in i'd love to hear from you go ahead send me messages i'd love to hear people like no 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 it's very wildly important for me to have a doctor for the reasons articulated in this cnn story which we'll play the first part right now right now fewer than six percent of doctors in the u.s identifies black or african-american that's despite the fact that the community makes up 12% of the country's total population. And that's raising concerns about the impact on public health. CNN Health reporter Jacqueline Howard joins us now. So, Jacqueline, what is being done to rectify this? Yeah, what is being done to rectify this? It's raising concerns. Amongst who? Who's concerned? Well, we've got to do this. They bring on their reporter who happens to be black. She, of course, they're all Every the, the anchors, one is black, the guy is black, the other anchor is white. But they've bought in. They've bought in to this. It doesn't really matter. They're progressives are progressives first and foremost. Anything else, anything else. A distant second. How are we gonna rectify this horrible situation? There they have right up on their US physician workforce, self reported race and ethnicity among active physicians. 63.9% are white. Now, you'd think that at some point I'd have run into a whole bunch of white doctors. Now, granted, my friend is a doctor. He's white. Went to high school with him. 
I don't honestly know another white doctor, that I, medical doctor, I can think of, personally. 20.6% are Asian. Now, wait a second. Whitey, there's far too many white doctors. But if you're going by percentage of the population, there's far too many Asian doctors. Weirdly, the left will talk about, we've got far too many white doctors. But they won't say we got far too many Asian doctors. They'll just imply the hell out of it by saying we don't have enough Hispanic doctors, only 6.9%. Now, this is self-reported. I assume a lot of professionals look at this crap and go, I'm not filling out this stupid survey and throw it down. They don't have time or they don't buy into this crap. The ones who do are more motivated. They're probably the committed lefties who think this stuff is important. 5.7% of doctors are black or African-American. One, only 1.3% of doctors are multi-races, non-Hispanic. Why isn't there concern for that? That's a big percentage of the population. Only 0.3% are Native American or Alaskan Native. Oh no, what are they going to do? How do they do? How do they ever go to a doctor? And only 0.1% are Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander which seems a little bit like the uh, and the rest from the first season of Gilligan's Island's theme song. You know, you couldn't give Professor Ann, Mary Ann, till the second season, you, you couldn't go other Pacific, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, man, whatever. Hey, Guam, sorry, <laughs> you're not worth noting individually. Can you imagine, I, I'd say, can you imagine living in a world where people focus on this sort of garbage because we live in that world where people focus on this kind of garbage. But could you imagine being the type of person who focuses on this kind of garbage? This is the kind of stuff I'd imagine the uh, 20th century KKK meetings were about, right? Democrats got together, they sent their women folk home and they got together and started talking about the ethnic and racial configuration of various professions, various people in the neighborhood, in the community, whatever. This is the kind of stuff that they did. Thank God 23andMe didn't exist back then. Although they would have loved it. The Democrats back then would have loved it. The Democrats right now love it for the very same reason. It's bizarre. You can have, you know, it, it tells you everything about these people, doesn't it? That they f obsess about this. They look at this. Barack Obama is the first black president. Well, his mother was white. No, 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 shut up about that. His father actually wanted nothing to do. His father's kind of a D-bag who just had kids all around the world and didn't really have anything to do with any of them. Real horrible person. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. He wrote a book dedicated to his father. Yeah, he did, which is kind of weird. Like, uh, you should probably... And granted, his mother was nothing to write home about, but she stuck around for a while before passing it off to her parents. It wasn't his dad's parents who raised him. But he's, uh, he's a hero, and he's uh, the first black president. He's the first multiracial president. No, 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 we'll check this box and not that box. They are the arbiters of what they would love to paint reality as. Yet it's a slide rule. It's a sliding scale. They decide, based on the convenience and expedience of the moment, 
which matters more and what matters how. And so when you are hurt, you just want to go to a doctor. But for you to get true care, you'll hear this in these clips, for you to get the kind of care that you need as a patient, you, have you ever gotten advice from a doctor like, hey, um, you need to take these pills, you need to take this medicine, these antibiotics, whatever, the full course, seven days, you got to do it. If the doctor was of a different skin color than you, did you just go, what does that guy know? He doesn't understand what I've been through and throw it away. That's essentially what this CNN report says. Like I say, we'll get to that when it comes up. But there's three clips. There's two more clips to go. But I just want to preview it a little bit because the whole thing, it's. I have to laugh because it makes me sick. And it makes me sick and it also makes me laugh. The saddest part is, and I guess it's th- that anybody believes this. Thankfully, it's very few people subscribe to this sort of crap, but it's the people who do really do subscribe to it. And the scariest part is the people who do really subscribe to it are in positions where they have exceedingly large audiences and can inflict this crap on other people and really do the damage. And that make no mistake, it's doing damage, designed to do damage too not by accident. So the discussion on race and doctors on CNN, they're very, very concerned about this. That's the thing, Biana. More needs to be done to make sure that our physician workforce here in the U.S. reflects the diversity seen among patients. Now, what has been done so far? We've seen more efforts to get STEM programs in grade schools. At the medical school level, we've seen more mentorship programs, particularly for students of color. But when you look at the physician workforce right now, active doctors at this moment, we're still seeing 5.7% are black or African-American. And that's compared with, as Victor said, 12% of the U.S. population. When you look at Native Americans, less than 1% of doctors are Native American, and that's compared with up to 2% of patients. When you look at Hispanic or Latino physicians, 6.9% are doctors compared with up to 18% of the U.S. population. So those differences are what's concerning here. And experts say we need to do more to make sure our doctor workforce reflects the diversity seen among patients. Why? Why? Okay, well, then let us look at the diversity of professional sports, all right? We, we need everything to reflect a, a, the direct correlation. Maybe we, we give a five percentage point buffer. Now, that's probably too much because at 5.7%, that 5% would get you really close to the 12%. Uh, you need a two-point buffer. We'll call it a two-point buffer. That's really, this is a story. This is a long story. This is a important think piece. Over at CNN.com, the headline, only 5% of U, 5.7% of U.S. doctors are black. And experts warn the shortage harms public health. Oh, no, the experts. What, are there vindictive doctors out there who go... I got the cure for what this person has. It's in my pocket. There's a, It's just a pill, one pill, and they're cured. But you know what? They're black. <laughs> I ain't going to give it to them. I ain't going to give it to them. You got two aspirin, call me in the morning. Watch, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You watch them walk out. Does they really think that's what happens? That's kind of what they think 
happens, or if you listen to these reports, if you listen to this discussion, that seems to be what they think. The report reads, when being truly honest with herself, Swin Ungebago, I don't know how to pronounce that, A-D-E-B-A-G-B-O, says she can describe what drove her to go to medical school in a single word, self-preservation. Huh? Agatabrego, who was born in Nigeria and grew up in Boston. My God, why would her family move her to such a horribly racist country where she's been nothing but oppressed all the way through medical school and into the medical profession? Good Lord. Is there some sort of uh, GoFundMe page that I might be able to throw some money towards this woman's poor oppression? Grew up in Boston, said that, and in Boston, I mean, come on, that's even worse said that as a child, she saw tensions between certain aspects of Western medicine and beliefs within Nigerian culture. She yearned to have the expertise to bridge those worlds and help translate medical information while combating misinformation for her loved ones and for herself. Yeah, uh, I don't know. You need a good bleeding. Not really the latest medical technology. You should take this medicine and do this that's probably good medicine do you really need to bridge that gap we need a partial bleeding quote i wanted to go to medical school because i felt like who better to mediate the tension that someone like me who knows what it's like to exist in both said Agudabuedo, whatever, 26, who graduated from stanford university and is now a third year medical student in massachusetts Quote, the deeper I got into medical education, the more I realized if I'm in the system, I know how it works. I not only know the science, but I also know how the system works. She said of how in many, she said of how in many black and brown communities, there can be limited access to care and resources within the medical system. Is that true? I've lived in black neighborhoods. There's a lot of clinics there. There's a lot of hospitals there. I lived in Baltimore. There's a lot of hospitals in Baltimore, a lot of damn good hospitals in Baltimore. In fact, the only reason there aren't 400 murders and only 300 murders a year in Baltimore is because places like shock trauma are so good at saving lives. But no, it's somehow we're supposed to believe that it's a medical desert. This has enabled Aguilarado to connect with patients of color in her rotations. She recognizes that their encounters for with her are brief, she said, and so she tries to empower them to advocate for themselves in the health system. Now, what does somebody who grew up in Nigeria have in common with somebody who grew up in the United States of America? Just skin color. But the left would have you, that's all that matters. Now, there are Massive differences in culture. They allude to it. The various uh, medical, how to put this nicely, weirdness and not, not trueness that you'd find in third world countries versus modern medicine and things that actually work to save lives. But she's supposed to... What, because of her skin color? We get it. It's Oh, it's wonderful. Now, now you know, the other doctor told me I needed to get chemotherapy. But now that you've said it and you look like me now, I think I need to get chemotherapy. The other doctor was trying to kill me. Pretty sure. God. 
Quote, I know what to ask for on the patient side if I'm worried about something for myself, but then also my parents and my family, because the way you have to move in the system as a black person is very different, especially if you're coming from a background where you don't have family members that are doctors. You don't know anyone in your periphery that went into medicine. Liberals really look at minorities in this country, even if they are a minority, because, you know, she got ahead. Everybody else can't do it. Nobody else can do it. Everybody else is too stupid. I need to pat them on the head and take care of them. Only about 5.7% of physicians in the United States identify as black or African-American, according to the latest data from the Association of American Medical Colleges. This statistic does not reflect the communities they serve, as an estimated 12% of the U.S. population is black or African-American. Well, all right. So what? White people should only go separate but equal. Segregation now, segregation forever. Sorry, black people, until you get more medical doctors, you can't come to see Asian doctors or white doctors. Nope. You're on your own. Good luck. Let me know how it works out, okay? By the way, yeah, whitey does outstrip the percentage of the population. White people are about 57% of the population, about 63% of the medical profession. But those Asian and Pacific Islands, you want to talk about overachievers. They're about 6% of the population, maybe 7%, and they represent 22% of the medical profession. So you could interpret this garbage on CNN as really saying what we got to do is have fewer Asian and Pacific Islander people in the medical profession. Hmm? Maybe that's why Democrats are beating holy hell out of uh, old Asian women on the streets. One reason why the percentage of U.S. doctors who are black remains far below that of the U.S. population is black can be traced to how uh, is black can be traced to how black people have been quote historically excluded from medicine and quote institutional and systemic racism in our society says Michael Dill, the Association of American Medical Colleges Director of Workforce Studies, the diversity officer. Yay. And it occurs, quote, and it occurs over the course of what I think of as the trajectory of becoming a physician, Dill says, Dill. At young ages, exposure to the sciences, science education resources, mentors and role models all make it more likely that a child could become a doctor. But such exposures and resources sometimes are disproportionately not accessible in the black community. Yeah, well, in Baltimore, in the black community, they aren't teaching kids math in the school system, all right? All the medical doctors crawling around in there saying, hey, you want to become a doctor, is not going to teach them basic math. It is not going to teach them to read or write. But that's not the priority of the left. No, by the way, my friend from high school who's a doctor, there are no such thing as mentors at all. Nothing. In my high school, my high school, I don't know what, I don't know how he became a doctor. He just did. He wanted to, and he did it. I don't think anybody, I don't know, maybe one other person, but not that I know of, from my entire graduating class went to medical school. I don't actually know anybody from from the, my time in high school who went on to become a medical doctor except for him. 
There was nobody like grab George, pull him aside, say, "Hey man, here's how you do it." And I'm going to give you some secret advice. All right, keep it from yourself, especially, especially the black kids. Here's how you become a doctor. All right, don't tell anybody. I'll know if you told somebody. It's not how the world works. Okay, it's not. There was nobody mentoring anybody around my school. There was nothing going. They, I met with my guidance counselor. On occasion, Mr. McKenzie, mostly because I'd skipped a class and needed a pass to get back in or whatever. You'd just go in and talk to Mr. McKenzie about whatever. It was never about what your future plans are. Mr. McKenzie, he was was hard of hearing. He had uh, hearing aids in. And he'd been a counselor for a very long time. And Mr. McKenzie loved my brother. My brother was a star athlete in high school the same high school he was an amazing pitcher and he was a hell of a defenseman in hockey we didn't have a hockey team but we had a baseball team he played in the city for uh, hockey played juniors he played he could have done something if he'd had better knees and he was a better pitcher than he was a hockey player but mr mckenzie loved hockey he was a hockey coach he coached my brother at some point i would get called out of my uh, classroom on occasion rare occasion the pass to go see Mr. McKenzie. And you think, well, what the hell happened? What's going on? It was Mr. McKenzie wanted to know what's going on with my brother. How's my brother doing? Catch up on my brother. That was the extent of discussions for my future with my high school guidance counselors. Hey, so how's Kirk doing? When I did it, came time senior year to go to college, there was nothing. I was in college prep courses and there was nothing. I heard other people talking about, hey, you're going to... What are you going to go to college? I don't know. I don't know. I applied to exactly two places. Why did I apply to exactly two places? Because exactly two schools came to my high school. Two colleges came to my school. Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and Wayne State University in Detroit. There was 20 bucks a piece. I applied to both. I got into both. I don't really remember... The, I think we just dropped it off and then they mailed you something for Eastern. But for Wayne State, there was a guy sitting in Mr. McKenzie's office. And there, it's your turn. You go in there. Here's the application. I've filled it out in my parents' side. And here's a $20 check from my dad. And he looked at my transcripts. All you needed. This is the... Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I don't know what it is now. Probably less. But all you needed was a 2.0 GPA to get into Wayne State University. Not super competitive. It's like 35,000 students. It was a commuter college. There's on-campus living, but I think you actually had to be from Asia or from overseas anyway to get in there. There was one thing that looked like an ugly Soviet apartment building, and that was the only on-campus housing at all. The rest was like the Cass Corridor and, and depressed Detroit. And I gave him my 20 bucks. He looked at my thing. and I had higher than a 2.0 grade point average. And he said, all right, welcome to Wade State University. He gave me a, just a generic envelope filled with the course catalog and everything. And that was it. There was no, what's my safety school? What am I going to do? Nobody talked to me about any of it. The plan from my, uh, to the extent that there was a plan. This was just the plan. That it was the world that my parents grew up in. You go to school, you graduate school, even though they didn't graduate high school, you get a job and then you retire after 30 years or you whatever. And you're like, how the hell does that happen? What kind of world is this? So it's just one of those things.
Talk about my privilege. There's my privilege. Spare me. So this uh, story at CNN.com about black doctors continues. Many U.S. medical schools have a history of not admitting non-whites. The first black American to hold a medical degree, Dr. James McHugh Smith, had to enroll at the University of Glasgow Medical School in Scotland. And you go, holy cow. When? It was this like a couple months ago? What's... Yeah. Smith received his MD in 1837. Oh, okay. Well, then there you go. How many generations of people have lived and died since then? Returned to New York City and went on to become the first black person to own and operate a pharmacy in the United States and he pub- and be published in U.S. medical journals. My God, what a horribly oppressive world we live in. A few decades later, in 1900, 1.3% of physicians were black, compared with 11.6% of the U.S. population, according to a study by the Journal of General Internal Medicine in 2021, and also the Journal of You Have Far Too Much Time on Your Hands to Worry About This Crap. Around that time, seven medical schools were established specifically for black students between 1868 and 1904, according to Duke University, blah, blah, blah. But by 1923, only two of those medical schools remained. Howard University Medical School in Washington and Meharry Medical School in Nashville. Well, there is such a thing as supply and demand. There are a lot of pe- there's a lot of people who don't want to be doctors. I count myself among them. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't even want a PhD. If I did have one, I'd be insufferable for so for the good of society and the insistence that I not be called doctor. I don't even want a PhD. I'd be totally Joe Biden, mostly because of Joe Biden, but that's beside the point. Some people simply don't want to become doctors, not based on their skin color. Other people are their public school education doesn't give them. I didn't never it never even actually crossed my mind that I could become a doctor. Nobody ever said, you know what, you could become a doctor. You know, I wasn't bad in science. I wasn't really interested in biology and you get blood, other people's blood I could handle, but like up class, like every time there's surgery on TV, I I want nothing to do with it. I'd look away. But even when there's like a close up of a human eye on TV, like look, I don't want to see that either. Plus my general disposition. You imagine my disposition, my bedside manner. How awful would I be as a doctor? No way. But nobody even broached the subject. Nobody even broached the subject. There was no sideline cheering. You can do anything. Yeah, there wasn't. There's a whole bunch of, yeah, probably got a couple of options. (laughs) And the crowd roared. You can do a couple of uh, things, probably. Maybe not so great, but, you know, eventually. So to sit there and say that the mentality of this report on CNN is that black people are incapable of self-motivation. Black people are not responsible for their own choices. And the Democrat power structure, the left-wing industrial complex, determines, decides, believes that black people are making poor decisions. And therefore, they need to make decisions. They need to be sort of herded and corralled and cajoled and nudged into certain things and in certain directions because they're just, they're not capable. They're not going to do it on their own. We've got to do something for them. 
It's wildly condescending and horribly racist. Speaking of horribly racist, let's go back to the CNN actual on-air report. Yeah, we need to do more because the research shows, and we've discussed this before, the Mm -hmm. benefits of a more diverse workforce. Uh, Often, um, sometimes uh, doctors will dismiss the concerns or symptoms Mm -hmm. of a certain demographic. Uh, Explain uh, what the studies show. Exactly, Victor. And research shows that when we have a more diverse physician workforce, there's more understanding and more trust between the patient and the doctor. If the doctor has an understanding of the patient's cultural experiences, cultural background, lived experiences, especially when it comes to racism or discrimination or other aspects of their life, that can help with that physician-patient a relationship. And we also see that patients are more likely to follow a physician's medical advice if they do have a feeling of being heard and understood. So all this plays a role in really improving public health, Victor and Viana. Jacqueline Howard, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Good Lord. Hey, you know, you, uh, Doc, I don't know what the deal is. My stomach is killing me. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Whatever. You're black. You're faking it. You know, forget it. Just get out of here. Go ahead, uh, take an Advil and uh, call me in, in a week. Don't go anywhere near anybody else, any other medical professional at all. Just go. Anybody believe that crap? Oh, wait. You have the same skin tone as me. Therefore, I take special interest. Wouldn't that be saying that every doctor is a racist? Isn't that what they're saying? Every doctor is a racist. If you just look at somebody and go, they're not like me. I'm more likely to take people who look like me seriously than people who don't look like me. And you decidedly do not look like me. Therefore, I realize you're bleeding out all over my exam room, but you're probably faking it. Come on, get out of here. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Who believes it? Or, you know... uh, I couldn't help but notice you keep stabbing yourself in the thigh and you're here to talk about your thigh pain. Might I suggest that your thigh hurts because you're stabbing yourself in your thigh? Well, you know, you don't know. You you have not shared my lived experience, okay? So I'm not sure I can believe you on such things. You know, has there been a time when two doctors have read x-rays? And one says, this guy's clearly faking it. This bone structure, he's obviously a different skin color than me. And the other doctor comes in and says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. This person, um, look at the pelvis. You can tell that this person is the skin color as me. And there's the tumor right there. Oh, I didn't even see it there. I just, I couldn't look past the fact that the uh, pelvis clearly showed that it was a different skin color than me. How little faith does the left have in human beings? I promise you they don't have little faith in this way. I promise you that, like most people, the doctors of the people, even the people of color involved in this story, are more than likely not of the same skin color as them. They're just not. And if they are, it's pretty gross that they shopped it around. Like that, I, what I really need is somebody who looks like me. I couldn't possibly go to that. It says more about these Democrats than it does about society and large. Now, the left-wing industrial complex, the progressive movement, they want this lie to perpetuate because it helps them politically. 
And these anchors, these so-called reporters participate because it helps them professionally. But they don't adhere to it. They don't live by it. Think about the Obamas. Climate change is real. The coasts will be underwater in the next 10 years if we don't do so. We, we don't do something dramatic, which, by the way, is, you know, just from a logistical timeline perspective, impossible to achieve, which means that, of course, the coasts are going to flood, right? Of course, they've been saying that for 30 years, but by beside the point. Barack Obama and Michelle Obama will likely be alive in 10 years. And what did they do three years ago? They were more. They bought oceanfront property on Martha's Vineyard. Oceanfront property on Martha's Vineyard. Why would you do that? And it wasn't like, you know, I, I'll buy this for $100,000 so that nobody else buys it, so that nobody else is, I'll take one for the team. No, they did it at the cost of like $12.5 million. They threw 12 and now granted $12.5 million is a lot like lunch money for most Americans because you see the Obamas made their fortune the old-fashioned way, caring so deeply for the poor. Uh, but even they would not throw away a bunch of money. They would not toss it in the trash. So why would they buy property that they themselves firmly believe will be overtaken, reclaimed, if you will, by the oceans? Well, it's because they don't believe it. That's the only explanation. You can say, well, they're going to shore up the seawall. They're going to build berms. Do you really? You have to do the whole island. You have to, maybe they got the money to do that. But I think that most people would go, I'm not going to buy property that, you know, one berm gets bombed or some kid with a shovel or somebody with a truck accident can really flood the whole island and ruin it. I'm not going to do that. No, no, they don't believe it. There's a reason they don't believe it. They've been paying attention to what their side has been saying since the 70s. And none of it has come to pass. None of it has come to pass. They recognize a pattern and they act accordingly. They invest, more importantly, forget how they act. They invest accordingly. And that tells you everything you really need to know. Don't listen. Don't listen to what they say. Look at what they do. And Look at what they do with their money. That's their real baby. Forget their kids. <laughs> their, their real babies are their money. If they're buying, and a lot of them are buying, they're buying a lot of property in Florida to avoid state taxes too. It's kind of weird. So watch what they do. Forget what they say. They're liars. Just quite frankly, they're liars. God knows it. You know it. We know it. And more people, hopefully, We'll learn it soon. Anyway, that's enough for today, don't you think? We've been through a lot. It's all one topic today, but it's not often I do that. I feel justified in doing it because I think I carried it. Anyway, the rest of the stuff and everything else, the week in effing review, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Go check it out. Support the program if you please, if you don't mind. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, some of you have really stepped up and that's amazing. I'm sent you messages and just uh, of appreciation so thank you very much you can email me Derek Allen Hunter at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter at Derek A. Hunter the uh, paypal by the way is the same thing 
DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. And uh, God, thank God it's Friday, right? I'm right about that. I know I'm right. I know I'm right about everything, but specifically that. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. See you hopefully tonight, if not Monday. Bye.